Hey, Parkview. Uh, Good to be back with you this week as we discuss our sermon passage for this coming Sunday. We're going to be finishing up Luke 5, moving into Luke 6 um, in this uh, couple interactions here, a couple stories that we see of Jesus's interactions with Pharisees. That's what we saw this past week, some interactions with Pharisees, and we're going to see a couple more this week. So um, we're going to be starting in verse 33. So just like normal, I'll kind of read through the passage, point out a few things along the way, and um, yeah, should be really sweet. Uh, I think it's first important to start um, with the context of this passage, um, as Pastor Thomas or Pastor Len talked about on Sunday. Um, We uh, end at Levi's house. Um, We have this tax collector, and we see uh, that he has made a great feast um, with a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table. And so it's in this context that the Pharisees approach him, um, that they uh, ask him this question. So starting in verse 33, and they said to him, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. Okay, I'm going to pause there real quick. So um, fasting, first I want to talk about that a little bit. So fasting served a variety of purposes in both Old Testament and New Testament times. Um, the One of the primary ones was for repentance. Um, it could also have been for mourning, or um, it could be seeking the presence of God. So these are the kind of three senses of fasting for a religious purpose would be repentance, mourning, or seeking the presence of God. Um, and so the Pharisees obviously have noticed um, that there's a difference in their, their attitude or behavior. Um, you know, I think they would often, because of those three things, you know, often associate um, fasting with righteousness. Um, Even if we look at uh, Luke 18 later, we'll see that um, the Pharisee, when he comes to the Lord and kind of is bragging about himself in contrast with a tax collector, he says, um, look, Lord, I fast twice a week. You know, that's a a mark of righteousness. And so that's something that's clearly um, different between these two postures, even of John, who... um, they would have seen uh, as maybe righteous uh, disciples. So um, we're going to go and move on and look at Jesus' answer here. So verse 34. And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they will f- then they will fast in those days. And so Jesus gives them a very practical um, example here of a wedding feast, you know, uh, it would be so foolish for uh, Jesus's um, audience to think about not eating food while the wedding's going on. That's kind of, he's, he's saying, oh, this is a day for rejoicing. This is a day for um, feasting, you know? And so uh, this is, uh, this would not make um, sense at all for you to do that while the bridegroom is there. And one other note I think is helpful is that even this language of bridegroom could have been heavily weighted with the idea of the Lord, the the idea of the bridegroom is um, as the Lord is something that's present in the Old Testament, and so Jesus could be claiming that I am the Lord, I'm with you, rejoice, and uh, you have this um, sweet opportunity now. Because then he says, as he says, the days will come. You know, I think that's clearly pointing to the days where Jesus will no longer be with them. He's he is aware of his coming death, um, and so again, if we return to the purpose of fasting. The, the idea of fasting in order to seek the presence of the Lord, um, not as a show, you know, which is what Jesus would say 
fasting should be um, is in Matthew six. It's not a show of righteousness. It's a it's an internal act. Um, and so if we think about uh, again, if they they don't need to fast in order to seek the presence of the Lord now because He's with them, you know. So He's uh, there is there will be a day. Um, between Jesus's death and resurrection, and then after he's taken into heaven, that fasting will be appropriate again. But for now, the days of rejoicing are there because um, they are in the presence of God. And so um, I just think that's important to point out because then, um, and Jesus wants to emphasize this point um, that there is a difference here because he gives them a parable, right? So verse 36, he also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, desires new, for he says, the old is good. So maybe, I guess two parables here, maybe could be confusing, but I think they're both uh, communicating the same point. Um, and if just to provide a little bit of context there, you know, even if you think about now, uh, new clothes probably shrink when you wash them, right? More than old clothes. So if you think about that, why would you um, take, you know, take a piece of fabric that's brand new? If you put that on an old shirt, and then that that fabric is gonna sh- is gonna shrink and tear away from the old garment. So you can think about that even in today's times, even if it's not quite the same. Um, but and then with the wineskins, the same thing. New wine would emit, you know, as it's fermenting, it's going to stretch the container that it's in. And so um, if you put that in an old wineskin that's already stretched, it's just going to make it burst and it's not going to make sense. You know, it needs that flexibility, that pliability for as the gases are emitted that the the wineskin can um, stretch with it. And so really what I think Jesus is saying here is that there is a, a categorical difference. There is something new that is happening here that is completely, uh, in some ways, incompatible with the old. Um, that he is saying that there is, there is a new way of thinking about worship, a new way of thinking about repentance, a new way of thinking about living life with um, God that does not fit into the Pharisees' old ideas of their system. Um, the old Mosaic law, not that it's not um, important still or not uh, applicable, in some ways, but that is not the context of Jesus's ministry. Um, there is a new covenant that he is instituting, and that is the, um, yeah, that is the life that um, you cannot integrate those two things. And so even calls out, you know, verse 39, he's uh, calling out the Pharisees, I think, there, that, that they are not going to, um, they are so soaked in this old tradition, they're so convinced that their way is correct, that they're saying the old is good, um, you know, it's, it's a little bit weird because old wine usually is better. So it's not exactly, um, the way we would think about it, but the Pharisees are not wanting to adopt this new system. They are stuck in their ways. And, uh, that is not the way that Jesus's ministry, uh, will continue to spread. That's not the way he will continue to work. So, um, we now move down to, into chapter six. So, um, yeah, two stories here. Um, this is the first, um, first two, I guess, confrontations, the Sabbath confrontations um, is kind of, there's four of them throughout Luke um, that, that where Jesus is confronted about doing work or doing healings on the Sabbath. Um, and so this is, yeah, if we look at verses one through five, this is the first one here. So let me go and read, yeah, starting in verse one here. 
On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. Okay, so yeah, they would have been, you know, maybe walking uh, between ministry and they were, you know, hungry. So they (laughs) took some heads of grain, which I'm like, that's not very appetizing snack for me. But um, they, you know, rubbed in their hands to remove chaff. But then they're confronted by some of the Pharisees, right? So verse 2 says, some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And I think it's actually interesting here because this specific act is actually permitted in the Old Testament. You know, it's, it's maybe a little bit um, of a gray area, but this would not be considered work by specific Old Testament standards. What, what is happening here is that the Pharisees, as we'll see many other times, have created these somewhat arbitrary rules or these greater restrictions, these greater limitations on what can be done on the Sabbath. And they are accusing Jesus of, of doing work, of violating Sabbath law. And what's really remarkable here is that um, these, these laws were taken very, very seriously. In fact, the penalty for breaking Sabbath laws was, was death. And so um, the, the, in accusing Jesus and his disciples of this, they're, they're saying, you have broken these, these laws of the Sabbath. You know, the Sabbath was um, the sign of the covenant for these people. And so the Old Test- in, throughout the Old Testament, uh, even if, um, yeah, the Sabbath was incredibly important to observe and to follow these rules strictly because it was the sign of the covenant with God. And so um, the fact that they are accusing Jesus of breaking it are saying, you deserve death here. And so, um, but Jesus always has the, his response to them, right? And so, um, and he often responds with the Bible. So Jesus answered them, have you not read what, Jesus, what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And so this is a story out of 1 Samuel 21, um, where Jesus and his men, or where David and his men are, are traveling um, on the run, and they're, they're hungry. And so uh, they go into the temple, and uh, they are uh, given the bread of the presence to eat. And so uh, I think, again, what we're seeing here is Jesus is saying, this is what you're talking about is the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law, where this is um, the bread of the presence was for the priests to, um, in order to sustain them, they didn't have the normal uh, ways to uh, get money and food and the, uh, the way other people did. And so this was to sustain the priests in order to um, continue to, yeah, allow them to do the ministry that they needed. And this is also um, reflecting on David's authority, because even as we see in verse 5, um, Jesus says, um, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. And so uh, Jesus' authority is is such that um, the Pharisees are m- misaligning uh, what, the, what the law is saying, where um, Jesus' authority, like David's authority, gave them the ability to um, work in these ways, not against um, the law of the Lord per se, but in order to interpret and uh, rule over these these important things. And so um, David, as king, as the forerunner of Jesus, um, you know, Jesus has this greater authority in order to uh, interpret the law and uh, do the work that he is called to do. Jesus, yeah. So again, we're just seeing Jesus's authority and power on display in this confrontation. And so then as we look uh, at the kind of this last chunk here, 6 through 11, we get a second um, Sabbath controversy. It's, you know, it says on another 
Sabbath. I think that's, yeah, again, important. So this is just another time that Jesus is uh, interacting with Pharisees. But it says, on another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And a man was there whose right hand was withered, meaning, you know, it was paralyzed or atrophied or something. But uh, the scribes and the Pharisees watched him. You know, I think that's important there. They're, uh, they're watching him to make sure, oh, is he going to trip up? Is he, is he going to sin or, uh, you know, is he going to disobey these laws that we've constructed? And they want to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. Again, wanting to call him out and to uh, have a reason even to put him to death. You know, this would have gone not against the Lord's rules, as we'll see in a second, but against their own applications of the rules and their uh, legalistic um, additions to uh, what was permitted. And so um, Jesus in verse eight says, but he knew their thoughts and he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them, all he said to them, said to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored. And so again, we see here that Jesus is almost uh, inviting. You know, he's looking, he knows their thoughts. He doesn't take the man away and, peel, uh, and, and heal him, you know, privately. He, he's like, all right, get up in the middle of the temple or middle of the synagogue here, and uh, I'm going to heal you very publicly. And um, so he's almost inviting this uh, interaction. But um, what's also interesting is that uh, nothing here he, uh, is, that is done could be de- described as work, right? All he does is say, come and stand. So walking, you know, inviting to stand, walking, uh, and he says, you know, he asks them a question. He uh, says, stretch out your hand. And the the man with the withered right hand does so. And his hand was restored. And so there's no, uh, even if the Pharisees were looking for a way to trip him up um, for what they would consider work, all he does is speak and walk, right? You know, that's all that's done. They're stretching out of hand. That's not, there, there's no work here. And so, um, but again, that's not, I don't think the um, main purpose of it. It's this question here. I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or destroy it? And so, you know, we see Jesus's compassion on display. He, he's reminding his, um, you know, the Pharisees, which again, they have, they have no answer to this question. They're, that's, I think, important to note here. But he is reminding his, the Pharisees of the original purpose of the Sabbath. You know, as he says in Mark 2, 27, the Sabbath, um, or man was not created for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath for man. Um, this, this, the Sabbath is for giving rest and freedom to people. It was an opportunity to rest and depend on the Lord, an opportunity to, um, yeah, remember all that the Lord has promised and remember what he has, um, the deliverance that he has given. And so um, it's, it's this doing good, this, this saving life um, that, that Jesus is wanting to show um, that the Sabbath is um, for. And so um, I hope that Mark will get into exactly what is permitted on the Sabbath. I'm just kidding. I'm not expecting him to do all of that. But um, I think that uh, what is here is um, just that Jesus is calling um, out in compassion, showing compassion, reminding these uh, people that uh, he is bringing rest and freedom, and that is the purpose of the Sabbath in the first place. And um, as we yeah conclude there in verse 11, it's clear that his uh, original audience did not see it that way. You know, they have hardened hearts. It says they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. And so we're already again, uh, we're seeing that foreshadowing of uh, what they might do, what this this plotting, this uh, attempt to 
uh, eventually kill Jesus, and um, we're getting to see that. And so um, I think this uh, whole passage is just a sweet reminder of Jesus' authority, his power, his his compassion, um, and the fact that he is uh, bringing a new way of life. You know, um, as the, the Pharisees were clinging to their old um, traditions, their old laws that they had either created or interpreted differently, um, that Jesus is bringing a new way, um, that uh, he is bringing a new way of thinking about um, worship, a new way of thinking about uh, repentance, that he has brought um, reason to rejoice while he was here. Now we're in this waiting period where, again, it might be appropriate to fast um, in, in expectation and seeking the presence of the Lord. But uh, we have this uh, greater hope and we have this um, greater uh, knowledge now of what it looks like to follow the Lord and to um, live in this new covenant, this new life. And we are, um, yeah, empowered by the Spirit in order to do that, just that. So um, I pray that as we are studying this passage, as we are um, yeah, meditating on this throughout the week, that we would recognize those things and that we would um, continue to rejoice in the new uh, covenant that we have and the um, new freedom that the Lord has given to us. So hope you all have a great week. 